So it's better for us to learn what what the the barn does and work our vaccine design around the barn. Uh, and then the uptake would be, I believe, a lot better. Uh, lot better appreciated and and hopefully used uh, more successfully so a whole new era of communication in the canadian swine industry is coming now you have the brightest minds of the canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket and what's best you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm traveling or running errands it's never been this good and it's never been this simple the swine it podcast show canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Columbus, your host for today's Swine It Canada podcast. Uh, with me today, I have Dr. Heather Wilson, who is a scientist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization in Saskatoon. How are you today, uh, Heather? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Heather, just because some of our audience may not be familiar with you and even maybe with uh, Vito, uh, can we just ask you to maybe introduce yourself, a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are uh, before we get to the, the topic of the day? Sure. Um, so I'm Heather Wilson. Um, I... Uh, Got my schooling at the University of Saskatchewan, and then I did my PhD at the U of S in uh, the Department of Biochemistry. Uh, I moved over to VITO, which at the time was called the Veterinary Infectious Disease Organization. It's now been updated to the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization. Um, I moved there as a postdoc, and then I started on there as a, a research scientist, um, number one back in the day, and i am uh, been there, oh, I think it's been 16 years now. It's, it's hard to believe it's been that long. So started off with just um, a tiny little lab and it gets a little bit bigger all the time. So uh, lots of work uh, with um, vaccine development and vaccine formulation. Yeah, it's it's funny how fast time goes by and, you know, we tend to be victims of our own success that things get bigger and bigger. Or we get busier and busier the, <laughs> the more we do. But yeah, yeah I think uh, that's that's great start doing the math it's scary but <laughs> uh yeah so uh so i know that a lot of your work and is involved in vaccine development and i think this is a big thing you know with with swine specifically lately with african swine fever all in the news and and ped before that you know um so how about uh just uh give the audience an idea of what you've been working on and 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 finding sure um so I'm actually the uh, a program manager for like a kind of like a unit called uh, the uh, vaccine formulation and delivery. So what our group kind of does is try to find platforms for um, how to make. Uh, so you're not specifically disease targeting; it's more generally how to get vaccines to work better. So what that would entail is uh, looking at different proteins to put on the surface, and then finding 
the spots on the protein that are called epitopes that we should be targeting and then all the different ways to do that to find find those um, if it was easy they'd be it'd be done already right so there's lots of uh, development there uh, so that's called antigen selection uh, and then there's formulation so that's the different adjuvants that you put in so uh, it's it's um, it's the gasoline that gets the car to go kind of idea that it's um, it helps uh, direct how the immune response goes. So sometimes it's better to have an antibody response. Sometimes it's better to have a, a cytokine response. There's different flavors of the immune response. Sometimes it's 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 always probably a good idea to have uh, vaccines that target the mucosal sites. So if you don't notice that most vaccines or quite a few of them are, are uh, intramuscular injection, which is great because you get a nice immune response, but it doesn't always target the, the nose, the mouth, the reproductive tract, the digestive tract. And that's where a lot of our vaccines were, sorry, where pathogens gain entry into the body. So if we could find ways to better direct the vaccine response to be at those sites or anywhere where there's mucus, right? Anywhere on your body like that, you can block the pathogen before it really gets in. The other way works too, like an intramuscular injection or any kind of injection. What that does is though, is it, um, it waits for the pathogen to get in and then it fights, uh, then it fights. So, so that's kind of different formulations. Um, and then actually it's different routes of immunization. So, uh, one of the um, more recent things I'm doing is is called uh, intrauterine immunization, and what this is is um, I had a postdoc in my lab a couple of years ago named uh, Dr. Um, Alex Pasternak, who's now at Purdue, and the idea actually came from him, and then we um, kept working on it and perfecting it, and the idea is that the 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 gilts and the sows are temporarily immobilized when they're being bred and it's a time when they're already being handled so the idea was well could we actually vaccinate into the uterus during breeding so with the, with the semen um, and have a, a, a very good immune response in the uterus and the uterine horns uh, and protect uh, against reproductive diseases and actually protect uh, so if you immunize, then the mom would have uh, antibodies in the colostrum and the milk. So could we protect the the, the neonates, the the babies that way as well? So uh, different routes of immunization, and that's kind of uh, a major thing I'm doing right now is this intrauterine immunization in the pig. Yeah, I think your your intrauterine work is is quite interesting. But you said something uh, previous. So before we get to that, uh, you mentioned that you know uh, what. Uh, Delivering this for mucosal would be a better option. So, what? Why is that not done currently? Or I guess, like, what what's in the way, or what do we need to know? Uh, we do a little bit. If you look, like some of the vaccines, like uh, Interosol for um, for Lasonia intercellularis, like some of them are oral delivery, so it goes into the drinking water. Uh, the trouble there is that your body has spent its entire evolution actively ignoring what you eat and not freaking out and making an immune response to that and which is great because we then it stops you from having dust uh, uh, a uh, sorry a, a vaccine type response to dust or food or anything that you drink so and that's great except for that's also where some pathogens do get in so um, 
yeah, anything, the best parts of the body is producing that mucus and having the cilia flush the uh, mucus and the particles out. You've got this really low pH uh, in the stomach, which is killing everything, except for the odd thing that happens <laughs> to get through. Uh, so it's really tough to make vaccines uh, to overcome those harsh barriers. Uh, but there are some, I mean, there are some, um, certainly, I think all of the ones that I think I'm aware of are all live attenuated. So like the, like, in, well, in Terrasol, um one of the polio vaccines is live attenuated, like a, anything that does tend to be delivered uh, to mucosal sites, so intranasal or oral, they tend to be live attenuated. So trying to get the um, the parts of the virus or the bacteria that are present anyway to kind of help move across the gut wall barrier, for example. Um, what we're doing is, I mean, it would be nicer if you could actually develop a subunit vaccine that could get across the wall. And, and what that is, is playing with the formulation. So um, we can get it to work. We just can't right well personally can get it to work but not get it to work fantastically well so it it just has to deals with playing with the adjuvants playing with the timing and you think too if you're injecting uh, into the muscle you're injecting this much right if you're injecting into the digestive tract you're thinking about feet after feet after feet of this large and small and large intestine right so it's uh, also a volume issue so there's lots of fun things that you have to overcome but the more we learn about the immunology and the physiology of the animals, uh, the more ideas we can come up with. And uh, and certainly it would be ideal if we could just administer a vaccine into feed or into water and uh, you wouldn't have to have special um, times where you round up the animals and you don't have to have more people, more training, cold storage, like all those things. So that is the goal is to is to, I would think is a major goal, especially for livestock is is putting vaccine into feed or uh, or the drinking water. Yeah, I'm sure the producers would love it if they could put everything through water or something like that. You don't have needle issues and and, and all the other things that come with the, the way that they're traditionally getting. You don't all, damage but, the meat, all that kind of yeah, stuff too. So. Exa exactly. So hopefully, you know, could get more of it that way and, and do that. Uh, I guess that leads very well into the, the, the work that you're doing in the sows and, and the intravaginal uh, vaccines. So I, I, I heard some of the stuff that you're doing, but you know, obviously the audience has it. So how would, you know, just maybe go a little bit more into where you're going with that? Sure. Um, I'll, sorry, I'll just correct you there. You said intravaginal. That's another style we're trying to do, but this one actually gets through the cervix into the uterus. So, oh, okay. so that uterine horn. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, the, um, yeah, the, oh, well, as your producers probably know, when you, uh, inseminate, you, either do post-cervical where the actual catheter goes into the cervix and gets kind of pushed through. Most times it's just the, um, the catheter goes halfway in between the cervix and then the, what do you have, like 60 or 80 mils of semen. Uh, so the idea is right before you're at, you know, putting on that little tube of toothpaste size um, semen bag onto the catheter, you would just squirt in a little bit of the vaccine and it gets kind of carried into the body through natural kind of suction or with a little bit of pressure there. Uh, and then it would get pushed into the uterus and then into the uterine horns. 
So we have done lots of studies to um, make sure that we select the vaccine formulation so it doesn't have an impact on the semen, which is important, right? Like if you uh, if you develop a great immune response, but you're, you but you're, the animal doesn't get pregnant because the sperm is dead, that's a bit of a problem. So that was our first step is to make sure that the formulation was not spermicidal. Uh, and so we've got that. Um, so anything off the shelf that we could find uh, was spermicidal, right? Because a lot of them have preservatives in there. And so, I mean, that's, that's a non-starter. So uh, we've been doing lots of playing with that. And we did lots of work um, where we, we, I think our first couple experiments, what we did was we took a parvovirus vaccine and we just took the part of the vaccine. It was a commercial vaccine and just took a bit of the inactivated parvo and we formulated it with some adjuvants and we administered it into the semen bag, but we used sows that had already been vaccinated. Like every, every, uh, parody, they got a parvovirus vaccine. The idea was, can we boost the immune response, right? Uh, and their responses were as good, arguably a tiny bit better than um, the intramuscular injection. So that was very encouraging. And then we started going um, into gilts uh, and administering the, the... Oh, we did a little bit of work with Parvo and then we moved actually... Um, the thing is, if you want to show that a vaccine works, you can show it gets an immune response, which is one thing, uh, which is to be fair when you often will stop because that's, a you know, it's a little bit cheaper. But if you really want to show if a vaccine is working, you actually have to administer a challenge uh, and show that they're protected against the disease. Uh, and we didn't happen to have a good parvovirus uh, disease model in-house, but we did have a really gun good one for PETV. So it's porcine epidemic diarrhea virus. The trick is that parvo is, is a reproductive disease. Um, PEDV is more of a disease for the, the neonate. Like it affects everybody, but the animals that are going to die are going to be the newborns. But if you administer the vaccine into the uterus, it gets the vaccine response, goes into the colostrum and the suckling piglets do get protected. And then we could challenge the piglets and show protection. So we switched from Parvo to PEDV. It was actually a bit timely too. So it was a couple of years ago and that was um, really on everybody's mind. And we were just using that as our disease model. And then we're playing with all these different adjuvants, uh, the dose, um, a little bit with the timing. Um, so that was, that was kind of neat. What we did was we you're dealing with, um, what, you've got a two-year, three-year grant cycle, right? So if you administer a vaccine at each parity, what are you at, you know, four months by the time she's farrowed and weaned and ready to get pregnant again? And then if you're going to boost, then now we're looking at another eight months, you know, so um, time, if you're going to do two to three vaccine doses, you've gone through a year. So we kind of cheated a little bit, and I thought it was kind of clever. So what we did was we administered the vaccine with the semen uh, into the gilts, but we purposefully gave her heat-killed sperm. And you could look at it under the microscope, and uh, it wasn't, like, ruptured or anything, so you weren't getting some weird immune response. It was just they weren't swimming. And then 21 days later, she got pregnant, or she came into heat again, right? So we could again vaccinate her again with the vaccine, and then heat-killed sperm again, 
21 days later, we'd, and we repeated and we used the live sperm. And then, um, so that's a bit of a, I mean, that's a, that was a um, kind of a trial by fire because these, these gilts, uh, had to cycle together and they did like they did in their guilts. Right. So, you know, they're not all of them are going to behave. Right. So they, they all came back into heat properly. They, uh, everything was good. They had, um, the litters, there was no difference in, um, live dead in sizes, sexes, anything like that, or growth conditions. So it was all good. So what we learned from that is uh, that we can do boosting in kind of a bit of an artificial setting just to, like, that's not the idea. Obviously, we're not going to ask farmers to do that, right, producers, but it was just to get the vaccine through a couple doses. And um, all the gilts um, had normal litter, so we were very encouraged by that. And uh, the vaccine response, again, was good. Protection was okay. And okay is not good enough, but we were very encouraged. So, um, so what I mean by okay is like like the um, the piglets got challenged, and we, again we do the challenge. We go into um, level. We actually moved to level three containment rooms at Intervac at Vito Intervac because uh, we just um, wanted to le- move to that level of uh, security and challenge them. And the piglets that suckled from the vaccinated gilts survived uh survived a little bit uh better and longer than the other ones and then of course at the end of the trial you have to euthanize everybody so we were very encouraged by that uh so then we have another round of funding where we um, are actually doing some very serious changes with our formulation so we're actually formulating them into nanoparticles and this is funded from by um, the agriculture development fund and it's with um, Azita Haddadi's lab and um, Raymond, uh, sorry, Ramin uh, Mohammadi and George Mutwiri and our lab. So we've got these nanoparticles, which are very, very powerful. Um, so you can take just a tiny bit of your vaccine and you, for some reason, when you put it into a particle form, it gets taken up a lot better. Uh I think your body might look at it like, are you a bacteria or a virus, something that's in a particle size instead of something just being fluid. And uh, we get very, very nice immune responses to that. So uh, the next thing is to do a proper trial and do a proper proper challenge experiment. So we're, I think we've got six different forms of the, of the vaccine and we're um, testing them uh, again, so it's just vaccine, so it's just a protein with these adjuvants that are in a particle form, and we're um, testing those at the Prairie Swine Center. Once we're happy with that, then we'll actually do the the, the trial again at doing that veto in containment rooms and, and do the challenge. So hopefully within a year, we should be testing those, so we're pretty excited. Yeah, that, that is pretty exciting. It's, that it's it's it seems to be working, even if it's providing mild or you. I don't want to use the wrong modest, term. modest. It's, it's <laughs> not. Yeah, it's okay. It's just it can be better. That's all. Oh, no, we're we're pleased with what we're getting so far. Uh, when when you do that work, and this is my my ignorance when it comes to this type of can you can you do any measures on like how much of the antibodies are making it into the milk and transferring to the piglet, and like is that the 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 rate limiting or is there something else that's going on that you know well with with pedby it's a good question um we actually are getting quite a bit of antibodies into the colostrum uh we were quite pleased with that 
the milk was just kind of okay, which was a bit surprising. I think just think we have to look at that a little bit more carefully. Um, but what's happening is we're getting lots of antibodies, but they're not necessarily what we call neutralizing antibodies. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if you've got a, if you've got lots of antibodies, but they're not really doing very much. It's not very helpful. It's against the right thing, but for some reason. So what you want to do is have antibodies that would actually bind to the PEDV, so the actual virus, and stop it from acting like a virus. So you're actually neutralizing it. And there's some really nice, very simple assays that you can run. And very clear, you, what you can see is um, it's like a, a clearing, like a, you've got a cloudy little plate. And if you see a clearing, then you've got virus. If you don't see clearing, then that means the antibodies bound to the virus and it's it's not acting like a virus anymore. So it's a very much a night and day binary response. And and again, it's we're getting some neutralizing antibodies, but like our antibody response is really high. Our neutralizing is what's can be better. So um, so we're learning. Actually, I'm I'm learning lots about the immunology of this. Like if you play with these different adjuvants, and we're keeping our route the same, right, intrauterine, but play with the adjuvants, play with nanoparticle versus soluble. Is that really impacting your neutralizing antibody response? And and I don't know yet, uh, but but we're very interested. So that's the trick. If we can find for viruses, if you can actually block the virus with these neutralizing antibodies, then that's great. Bacteria, it's a little t- it's a little bit different. Um, bacteria are funny. Sometimes an antibody will stop them. Sometimes they can decorate themselves with antibodies and a nice little coat, and they don't care. They still do what they're going to do. So um, and that's where you need a cytokine response uh, sometimes. So, but for for a virus, yeah, we we definitely know what we're looking for. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned in your study design that you had, you know, you, you did the the killed the killed sperm, and then you did it in order to like kind of make it so that you could do the the multiples and see what that effect would. Would you expect the response to be different if you actually like? did it over time like you would have to and and had different ages of kilts or sows and that um actually if if it's about what it's it's um three three months three weeks three days is that the normal gestation right and then you've got some farrowing in there and about a week or so to get her back so it's when I rough guesstimate it's about four months right between one breeding to the next breeding that's actually a really nice time period for vaccination very nice so uh it's okay i think what we're the idea is that we would administer the vaccine at each parity at each breeding um and i think what we would try to do is just administer it the first time okay so usually you would breed a guilt at second estrus like first estrus would tell you okay she's sexually mature second estrus then we administer the vaccine with the semen and then if she gets bred the next day the day after like that is a bit variable, right? Sometimes you only give a gilt or sow even one dose, sometimes a couple. So we just administer it once uh, the first time. And then, yeah, uh, the next parity, give her the vaccine again. Um, if we do our job to the best of, of our and anybody's ability, it would just be one and done. Um, you vaccinate her once and then she'd be have lifelong immunity. Um, that's a pretty high bar. So right now we're just trying for every parity. Uh, but ideally it would be just once. 
and a little thing, um, a little bit, uh, I don't know how much people know this, but generally you need two immunizations to get a, at least two to get a really, really good immune response. Um, I was actually amazed with these COVID vaccines that how after one dose they were doing, you know, you had pretty decent antibodies. Um, a lot of the times your antibody response is really low until you get your second one and that's when it takes off. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned about the gilts and that um, they might need a booster because I want them to be protected in that whole first uh, gestation. So we might have to think like, again, if, you know, everything works wonderfully, yes, it would be one and done, but it's more likely we might have to give her maybe an injection 30 days into pregnancy. So it'll be intrauterine and then wait a couple weeks, give her another one. And then after that, everything is a boost. So again, it would just be once intrauterine. Um, that's probably what's most likely is what's going to happen. And it's okay to mix them up. If you've got intrauterine and then intramuscular, like that's fine. You could do intrauterine, intranasal, um, however we um, however we get it to work best. But uh, I'm a little bit worried about the gilts that we're kind of asking a lot for this one little vaccine to fully protect them. Uh, but I'm not worried about the next farrowing. That would be a nice booster. And so any of the sows, I'm not worried about. It, it makes sense. I, maybe that's one good thing that came out of COVID is we're all a little bit more aware of what what is required in vaccines and and boosters and you know time times between those shots and and how that exactly, all yeah. impacts it. So I mean, it, it makes sense. But obviously, the the goal would be a one and done. That would be great. Producers would love they they definitely love that if they didn't have to go uh, back to them. But and even if you know. Like you said, if one can be the the intrauterine and maybe a booster is a different uh, different route, at least you've gotten rid of one, you know, injection, which yeah. you know helps. Yeah, helps exactly. A bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are there any? Uh, you mentioned PED, and and you did. I mean, you started this with parvo. Are there are there particular uh, viruses or? And I know you meant you said bacteria is a different. Uh, dragon altogether right but are there any particular that you are wanting to like target with this and 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 look at um i think we will we have i've got a um bioinformatician in my lab uh dr zahed uh Katuni, who is working on uh, figuring out what are the best targets on pers so we actually are going to um use the adjuvants the nanoparticles and we're going to try doing uh with the PERS antigens and we'll do that just intramuscular and just some piglets just to see what kind of an immune response we do get and if that's very encouraging uh, then we'll um, start writing some grants and start getting all the permissions required and uh, move to uh, complement the PEDV vaccine with the PERS vaccine so again a really important reproductive disease in pigs um, I, I don't see why any, like, you could really pick any target. Uh, some of the interests that I've had is, like, with rotavirus or um, some of these um, pathogens that are really deadly to the newborns. Like, so you're, this is all that that is about passive immunization. So you're not protecting the piglets when they're developing in utero because that barrier is pretty thick, right, in the pigs. Uh, but 
all of a sudden they get born and you're expecting them to be protected and they're just not going to be. So what you do is you give to get the colostrum in the mum to have antibodies against Rhoda or against Strepsuis or, or something. So, uh, yeah, there's, it's more reproductive diseases. And then what diseases really impact the newborn babies is, is what we're thinking of for now. Um, I, I'll ask just because it's on everybody's mind lately, but would, would African swine fever be something that we would be looking at in that? Oh, for sure. Like if we can get, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I told us, uh, <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, we, we've got people at Vito who are working at the, the, the trick I understand with African swine fever is finding the target. It's been challenging. It's a big virus. Uh, there's lots of people but doing lots of work trying to narrow it down. And, uh, yes, if we can definitely find a really good target, then we would do that work again. That would be, I don't even know. That might even be, yeah, it's, uh, definitely level three, um, uh, kind of work. So it would be definitely under containment because, uh, it's, it's not in Canada, thank goodness, and hopefully stays out. But, but yeah, first, for sure, if we can, uh, look at that one that's not going to help the wild boars or anything like that because i'm not doing an intrauterine immunization <laughs> any of the any of the uh wild animals out there but um but yeah definitely the nanoparticle vaccine development uh lots of work going on maybe maybe you can work on something that they can eat yes <laughs> in, the exactly. in, in the wild boar population or blow dart gun i think that might be yeah 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 uh, right? a, a different way of doing it yeah so uh, i think it's it's now like Lots, all, all lots the of different targets. challenges, but yeah, because it's it's something that keeps popping up. But you know, it definitely, definitely, I think a goal in the future. Um, you wrote something in the in your little like about me thing <laughs> that you said. You said people may disagree, but I believe that with the right adjuvant and antigen combinations, subunit vaccines can work well for the industry. So I guess I'm just if it. Maybe speak a little bit more to that and then maybe potentially why you think people may disagree with that. I think it's, um, well, the proof's in the pudding a little bit that any, I'm just trying to think, I don't know if there's any subunit vaccines. What I mean by subunit is you just take a certain protein, which has got the certain targets that the vaccine, so instead of having the whole PED B virus, for example, that you kind of carve up, but all the pieces are there, that would be a killed PEDV or live attenuated. So all the pieces are there and it can kind of replicate a little bit, but just not very much. That's a live attenuated. Or you take some of the pieces, you formulate them in these nanoparticles. Most uh, mucosal vaccines, so oral, intranasal, that are on the market are live attenuated. Uh and it's just because there's lots of the pieces of the virus are there or the bacteria. So there's lots of targets. Um, the trick with live attenuated is you always worry a little bit about uh, reversion to virulence. So it was live attenuated. And um, sorry, I can never remember if it's the Salk or the Sabin polio vaccine. Uh, one of them is live attenuated and it's very, very good. But we basically have gotten rid of polio, except for some of the vaccinated people have been shedding just a little bit of polio and you get these little outbreaks. Um, it's really rare, but it does happen. Uh, so there's always that fear. The trick is if you can do just subunits. So say I take protein one, two and three from the PEDV and then I put in something really weird, um, protein X. 
And then we see animals in a barn and they have antibodies against protein 1, 2, and 3, uh, but they don't have any antibodies against protein X. Then I can say, well, they didn't get those antibodies from the vaccine. There's probably a live exposure going on. So those are called DIVA vaccines. And so it's D-I-V-A, differentiate between infected, infected and vaccinated animals. So if you play with your subunits, you can add some proteins and take some out. Um, the traditional form of DIVA is you actually take like a, the live attenuated PEDV and you take out a whole section. Um, maybe that's a bit of an aside, but um, I don't know. I think... The proof is in a pudding, yes, live attenuated, there has been lots of success, but I think the more we learn about adjuvants and targeting, um, that we, I think if we keep playing with it uh, and, and keep working at it, we can definitely find a vaccine that can get across the gut wall, uterine wall, whatever, and get impacted by the, uh, the innate immune cells and then help to direct um, an adaptive immune response. Like I think... I think we just need to play with it a little bit, but you can't argue with a success. I mean, as far as, as far as I know, um, there aren't any subunit ones that are, there's lots that are in lab settings. Um, we haven't made it fully to uh, commercial development yet, but I think we're close on a lot of fronts. So, Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, we, so we've talked about it a, a little bit already, but um, I guess what would, what would you be, or, what would you say would be the next steps or, or like a priority uh, moving forward, either with your research or even vaccine research in general? Mass delivery, especially for livestock, would be um, would be very, very nice. Anything where you don't have to say, OK, you need to get new barn workers or specially trained people, anything where it's easy, like, like again, through food or a nasal mist or um, in, in the water. Anything like that would be very, very well received, I think, by the industry. Uh, and let's see the next next directions from there. I don't know. I think um, if we kind of think outside the box a little bit and try to think, okay, are there the more like it's? I think it's important for the scientists to uh, like. For me, I didn't grow up uh, with a, in around a pig barn. I had to learn the industry, and I'm still learning the industry. So it's important to kind of know what the husbandry is so that we can uh, change our approach to work with what is already being done. Um, I can develop the best vaccine against almost anything. And I say, okay, guys, you got to round up your animals at this particular time point um, and do it at a regular basis because that's what the vaccine needs to work. Chances are it becomes a real money issue. Like, okay, is this worth doing? So it's better for us to learn what what the the barn does and work our vaccine design around the barn, uh, and then the uptake would be, I believe, a lot a uh, lot better appreciated and and hopefully used uh, more successfully. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great message for for not just you guys, but every researcher out there, right? To understand <laughs> what what are you doing because if it, if it is too complicated or expensive to implement, then there's not, what's the point, you know? Uh, so I, I think that's great. 
So I guess uh, our our time is wrapping up, and so I'll just ask if you had like one one take home message or or conclusion for for our audience, what would that be? That I think that that vaccines work, and it's um, if we can design them well enough and with a better price point, uh, so that it can be affordable to do so. I hope uh, that producers uh, welcome welcome vaccines because I think it's really important to have. Uh, instead of getting a getting getting in front of a, a disease that's already in the barns, if we can vaccinate, even if yeah, there's no disease X around, maybe not a bad idea to vaccinate so you keep keep it out rather than fighting it um, if it does come into the area. So it's always always a good good idea. Yeah, ounce of prevention and all of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's time for our famous three. Um, so our final three questions of the podcast are the same that we ask everybody. So they're they're a little bit different. Um, so um, and I think you were given this beforehand, but uh, the the first question is, uh, what is your favorite swine related book or resource? I even have it here. I was ready for it. This is an awesome book. Uh, can you see it? It's called Lesser Beasts, and it's all about the pig. And I actually, I have it as um, a hard copy, but I listened to it as an audio book. Um, and I was uh, bailing of my husband's farm and I, and I could still, uh, whenever I pass that field uh, with the last time I bailed, I, I can hear parts of the book. So anyway, it was, it was really, really interesting to see the development of the pig um, domestication with the humans. So it was good. It's Lesser, Lesser Beasts by Mark Essig, E-S-S-I-G. I have not heard of that one, so I am definitely going to have to look up, look that one up myself. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. So, um, our next question is, what uh, is your favorite book or resource, resource outside of agriculture? Um, I like the science books. I like, uh, like, Virolution, and uh, there's... The, the author's name is Jack Ryan, uh, so he's really tough to look up because it always gets you to the Hunter Red October actor, and that's not it. It's, it's He's the author, and his name is Jack Ryan, and he's got lots of science-related books. Um, he's very good. Um, and I'm just, I mean, I'm a sucker for the, uh, the detective novel, that kind of stuff. In the summertime, I get a stack of just these crappy novels that I'm just quite happy to pour through in my backyard on a, on a summer in the summertime. So, <laughs> um, and then our, so our last question is in your opinion, what sets successful swine professionals apart from those that are not, and you can define success however you want when you're, when you're answered. I mean, good management, um, but also being okay with trying something new to see what are other people doing, what are other countries doing, and just exploring um, other people's success and maybe even in other industries. Uh, I think all of that's knowledge is knowledge is power. So uh, it's okay to do things a little bit differently um, within reason, of course, as long as you're doing all the biosafety and all that. But uh yeah, I mean, listen to your to your workers. Um, a lot of people are getting workers from um, countries all over the world, and I kind of ask them, "What are, what are you guys doing, and and how does it work for for your people?" So, yeah, just just listen and learn, and um, 
be open to new new things. Yeah, I think that's great. The the resources are all around us. We just have to listen. I, I think this is a very good message. Uh, so, uh, well, Heather, that brings us to the end. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed your time here. I definitely enjoyed talking with you about this, and I and I hope the the audience gets uh, uh, some good information out of, out of this. So thank you very much for for being on the show. Good. Well, thank you very much. It was fun.